0: Genesis chapter 1. And when you find Genesis chapter 1, we're going to be reading from the sixth day of creation, which is in verse 24 to the end of the chapter, verses 24 to the end of the chapter. But it also like... You to have Romans chapter 1 open as well. Just have your finger in Romans chapter 1. So that's Genesis chapter 1 and Romans chapter 1. If you have those ready, that would be wonderful. This evening, we're going to be examining the question why are we here? Why are we here? The service of worship here this evening, we'll be looking at the topic found in question one and question two of the Westminster Larger Confession under this title. Now, this style of preaching it's a little bit different from the mornings. In the mornings we're going to be working through First John, a style that has been used at least back to the Reformation. But there's also been another type of preaching that is very common among various types of Reformed churches. It's known as catechism preaching or catechetical preaching. And basically, what that is, is the topics found in the Westminster Larger Catechism or the Heidelberg Catechism, depending on which one you go through, are being preached through. Now, this is preaching, it's not a lecture or a Bible study in that sense. Those are good things. And they inform the mind and they're very good things. But preaching is primarily to be aimed at the heart and at the conscience. And they're different in focus in that sense. And the theme we're going to be looking at will, over the, the next coming evenings, Lord willing, will be coming from our standards as Reformed Presbyterians, as Christians. We believe certain truths and we ought to know what those are are, and not only to know what they are, to love them, and to boldly profess them before a lost world. I also want to make clear as well, we're not preaching from the Catechism, in case anybody thinks we're going from the Catechism and expositing and going through the Catechism. What we're doing is we're going through the topics in the Catechism and going to the Word of God and showing where they are to be found and showing what the scripture teaches on this topic. So this is going to be much more topical than in the morning sermon. All legitimate preaching is from the word of God. It must come and originate from the word of God to be preaching at all. Anything else does not have authority. So this evening, our first topical sermon from the catechism is going to look at why. Why are we here? And you might be thinking, what, here in this building, here in Rathra Island? There's a certain sense of that as well. But I mean, why are we here on this earth? Why do we exist at all? Have I ever thought of that question? It was a question that came into my mind before I became a Christian. Why am I here? What is good? What is evil? How do we know these things? Why am I alive? Why do I exist? Does my life, your life, and the life of all image bearers have purpose? Have purpose. So we're going to look at these two passages now as we're going to read from God's holy word. So Genesis chapter 1, we're going to read from verses 24 to 31. Before then we'll turn over to Romans 1. So Genesis 1, verses 24, to the end of the chapter, let us hear God's holy word word. Then God said, "Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind." And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, "Let us make man in our image," according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also, to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air." And to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And please turn with me now, if you will, to Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, and we're going to read from verses 15 down to verse 23, Romans chapter 1. Verses 15 down to verse 23. Let us hear God's word. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first, and also for the Greek For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. God has shown it to them, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible men, and birds, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. may the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. So for this topic, we're going to be really drawing from mainly these two texts, but also some other parts of the Bible as well. So it'd be good to keep those two parts of the Bible at hand. Why are we here? What's our purpose for existing? The world will often say... These things. Well, our purpose to exist is to enjoy ourselves. Perhaps tomorrow there'll be no more, life is brief, we might as well just enjoy it to the fullest. Or somebody might say, well, there's no reason for us being here, we'll just be in the ground tomorrow. We're just a cosmic accident. Think about this for a second. What happens to things around your house that have no purpose? Just say you have a TV. 20 years ago it worked really well. You try to turn it on, it doesn't work. What would you do with that television? Would you keep it around? You don't even throw it out pretty quickly. It has no purpose. It just sits there and it doesn't do anything. What is the tragic... Consequences for this generation that believes we're here and there's no purpose to life whatsoever. Well, we see it all around us, don't we? Tragic cases of young people, depression, and other things like that that come from it. And this teaching, it denies reason. It denies logic. It denies every particle of Evidence of God that surrounds us. It denies what we know deep down. We've been created in the image of God. We know when we do something wrong. This is why universally across the world you'll find murder. Being detested and hated. No matter what society you go to. Because that law has been imprinted in the heart of man. We may suppress the truth and unrighteousness. But we've been created in the image of God. We have a conscience. All of us. Have a conscience. And we know we've been made for a purpose. We've been made for a reason. We've been made to imitate our creator, our God, our king. It's not for the reasons the world tells us. The world tells us uh, what the creation created itself. Or it was always there. But what what does nature teach us? If I came to this this pulpit, this desk and said, well, it made itself. What would you think about that? It just made itself. It, it just just wait long enough, over billions of years, you'll eventually get a table. It, it doesn't make any sense, does it? When we find things around us, we don't think that it made itself or is eternal. We just, oh, the world has always been there. Not at all. Not at all. Only God is from eternity. So, why are we here? The first purpose we're going to look at, why are we here, is number one, to witness his glory. To witness his glory. If you ever go into an art gallery and you're looking at paintings or you go to a concert and you're listening to music, why is this on display? Why is it there at all? Why does this musician. Take what they've written and play it in front of people, or a painter takes his painting and put it on display. Why would they do that? Why would people go to see these things as a witness? To see, to see a gifted person and their expression of that gift, isn't it? It would be a demonstration or to communicate something. It has a purpose. There's a purpose in all these things, there's a purpose. In the heavens, the glory, the glory of God. An expression. you think about the painting. It teaches us something about the artist, doesn't it? If you you want to know something about an artist, you'll study the painting. And you can tell their skill. You can tell their talent. You can tell maybe their intelligence. You can tell even sometimes emotion in things. And people will witness and go, wow. Look at that. That's undeniable talent. And you'll see various paintings in various galleries around the world. They'll witness that fact. They will not go to that painting and go, Wow, isn't that amazing? That painting made itself. There's no painter. We know that that cannot possibly be true. But we do it, or the world does it at least, with the creation. We may smirk at the idea we may smoke with the idea of somebody says, oh, the painting has no beginning at all. And that's what the world's basically saying about the world around us. If we turn to Romans 1.20, Romans 1.20. In our Bibles, Romans 1.20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Well, let's think about this. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his power, his wisdom, his goodness, are clearly seen, being understood, how? By the things that are made. If, If you examine, say, somebody who makes furniture, you can tell a lot about that person just by looking at the things that they make. Remember Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and godhood, his godhead. That word godhead can also be translated deity, the idea of his, showing that he's God. Who else could have made this? The more you study science and creation and everything else, you just see the the perfect design of everything. A little bit off here and a little bit off there. Life is not possible. The simplest cell in the human body is more complex than New York City. How is this all possible? You look at the intricacies of it. And what does it say Paul writes on the inspiration of God so that they are without excuse? The world does not have an excuse. The world may not even have a Bible. They may never have read a Bible. But they're surrounded by the evidence of creation that there's a God, that he is good, that he is wise, and he's a God of order. And his standards will be upheld. We can tell this by creation. He said, Well, why don't more people see this? Because we're told later in Romans to suppress the truth and unrighteousness. They don't want to submit to God. His invisible act clearly seen. You find a book. If you're into reading novels, you read a novel and you learn something about the skill and wisdom of the author. We witness it. You know, somebody says to you, you've got to read this book. Read this book. And you read this book and you're you're saying, "Oh, I don't know if it's actually that good. You want to read it. You want to see and see if the if there's actually greatness on display in this author. God displays his greatness. He shows forth in creation. Now God does not depend on anyone. His glory cannot be increased or decreased. He is glorious. His glory from Eternity past to eternity future will not change one bit. But God can be glorified in ways that show, reveal, declare his glory. We know because the creation declares his glory. I think this is something where we really miss in modern theology. How often many men of the past would have talked about this. But how often do we hear people talk about the heavens showing forth the glory of God? What does it say? Psalm 19 verse one. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. And I love the way it's, it's rendered in, in the 1650 Psalter. It says this. The heavens, God's glory, do declare. The skies, his handworks. Preach. I think it's a wonderful way of putting it. The unbeliever cannot get away from the fact that the evidence, the glory of God is being almost preached at that person. Can you see the rebellion today of the LGBT movement? Right? They suppressed the light of nature and they've gotten to such a degree now they say, well, there's not two genders, there's no The most basic facts Of nature, of creation, are being suppressed more and more around us. Now, while God does not gain anything from us, mere creatures, we are mere creatures. He is the Creator. We do witness, don't we? We witness to His glory. We're in awe of it, and we bring honor to His name. And think about this: if you, if any of you work outside. As we said earlier when we were singing that psalm, Psalm 8, when you're working out on your farm, when you're working out in the garden, think about it like this. This is God's creation. This, is, this shows the intricacy and the handiwork of God when you're planting your roses, when, when you're working on your shrubs. You're not just working on... There's a sense in which it should remind us of God. There are reminders of God all around us. You may have said, well, I, I wish I spent a little bit more time in my Bible in the morning. And you know, we should read our Bibles. Of course we should. But there's reminders of the handiwork and the skill and the wisdom of God all around us. Every time a calf is born on a farm. Every time lambs are born. Every time a sun rises it shows his power. Every time there's lightning in the sky and thunder. It shows his power. It shows his glory. It shines forth his beauty and design. The Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter one, paragraph one, tells us the light of nature, tells us of the goodness, the wisdom and the power of God. And maybe worship this God who is revealed in creation. Number two now, so number one is to witness His glory. Number two is to learn of His glory. To learn of His glory. God has given us abilities. I know we may at times think, oh, I can't do that, and things like that. God has given you abilities. It's just a fact. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you serve some function in the body put it like this if you take out any part of our body which parts of our bodies are useless every part of the body is important we all we all serve some part of that we all have abilities some more some less in different areas and he has made us in his image why? that we may learn of him that we may be like him now we can't be like him in certain ways we can't be omnipresent We can't be everywhere, can we? But we are to be imitators of God in his moral purity and character. It talks about this in Genesis 1, verses 24 to 26. Genesis 1, verses 24. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so." And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Now, verse twenty-six. Then God said, "Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness." And we can, we see evidence of this all around us. Men are different to the beasts. Man is a worshipping creature. We will worship something, won't we? All of us. But you never see this from a dog, a cow, or anything else like that. We We are different. We have been created in the image of God. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Basically to subdue the earth to the glory of God. To use all that has been given to us to glorify God. As it says in Matthew 6 verse 10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Subduing the earth. That it may give glory to God. Being like God in moral character that we may learn. It says in 1 Peter. Chapter 1, verses 13 to 16. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, which is basically ready your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy. You also be holy. In all your conduct. Why? Peter tells us. Because it is written. Be holy. For I am holy. And he's quoting there from Leviticus. Be holy. For I am holy. He tells us in Ephesians 5. one, Therefore be imitators. Or followers of God. There are ways in which. We are to be imitators of God. God is good. So too are we to be. God is holy. So too are we to be. In his moral pureness and character, we are to be like him. So we see the light of nature revealed all around us. As we saw in Romans 1.20, the unbelievers without excuse. The atheist who says, well, you know, if, if, if I see more evidence, I'm just lacking evidence. The unbeliever does not lack evidence. He has a hardened heart. He lacks a new heart. He needs a new heart and a new nature. So that we will learn of him. You see these truths, dear friends, they may enter into our heads, but unless they enter into our hearts, we won't understand these things. Not truly. There are many incredibly gifted people around the world who write about theology and other things like that. And they're brilliant in certain areas, but they don't know God. Do we love him? Do we embrace him? To learn of him, to follow him. Creation gives us no excuse, but creation, or basically general revelation, as it's sometimes called, which is available to all, it doesn't save. I think it was Lloyd-Jones who said this. (laughs) Creation gives us, basically condemns us. The way our hearts condemn us. But it doesn't present us the gospel. The gospel is only revealed. In the scriptures. It says in question two. Of a Westminster larger catechism. How doth it appear that there is a God. How doth it appear that there is a God. The very light of nature in man. Romans 2.15 and 16 declare plainly that there is a God. But his word and spirit only do sufficiently and effectively reveal him unto men for their salvation. Or put it another way, the light of nature shows there's a God. The light of nature declares there is a God. But only his word And the Spirit of God do sufficiently enough and effectively reveal unto him their salvation. Without the Word, without the Spirit, men have no hope. Without the Word and the Spirit, none of us have hope. Probably listening to the early part of the sermon, I said, well, why do we need to share the gospel? There's enough in creation. No, no, there's not. The gospel is revealed in the scriptures. We need the Word and the Spirit. Creation shows that we fall short. But how to be saved is revealed in the Scriptures. Again, God owes us nothing. God owes us nothing. And until he opens our eyes, we won't truly see this. It says in Ezekiel 36 verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. There's truths here, dear friends. That we will never understand. We'll never understand our purpose fully until we're born again. (coughs) We'll never understand and accept why we're here. Because man says, I can see all the evidence of what it says. I can see that there's a God. But they don't want there to be a God. They want to be the God of their own universe. They want to control. And basically say, I will decide what I will do. I will decide. Jesus said this in John 14, 15 to 18. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth Whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. But you see what he's saying? Keep my commandments. And in order to keep the commandments, we need to learn these things, don't we? We need to learn what it means to be holy, to be Righteous. What it means to be like him. So we've looked at two purposes there to witness his glory, to learn of his glory. Number three now is to enjoy his glory. To enjoy his glory. Question one of the Westminster Large Catechism says this What is the chief and highest end of man? And the answer is this man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy him forever. Now, have you ever thought about what that question is saying? What is the chief and highest end? What does that word mean, end? Well, that word means purpose. Or for what reason was this person or thing made? Everything, whatever you make, if you make anything, you make it for a purpose. Even if you say, like, well, it's just, uh, I want to just, you know, have fun. Well, there's still a purpose. Everything you're making, and if we've been made, we have. We've been made for a purpose. Glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now, as we were, we were looking at this morning, we mentioned this morning's sermon, sometimes we can think of the real holy ones, and I think maybe the first century Pharisees, Kind of got this reputation as well. The, the, the real serious ones are the holy ones. You know, the real serious There's no joy at all kind of going on. You know, they're, the, they're really serious all the time. Now, we've all got different personalities. Before I say anything else, we've all got different personalities. Some of us like to joke a bit more than others. Some of us are, are more prone to be serious people. Yet, we must not think that our Christianity is to be absent from any enjoyment. There's a real danger of that. It's amazing how that can happen at times. There's a sense in which Christians should be the most joyful people on this earth. Now, I know we will go through struggles. I know we're falling. And you know what? We will go through a range of emotions. I talk about joy. We may go up to 12 out of 10 on our joy at times. And we might go up to minus 2. Where the world might be be between five and six. Some of the most godly people to ever walk upon the face of the earth have hit the lowest pits. People like Spurgeon. People like Luther. That's the reality of the situation. We struggle. We, We absolutely struggle. But our purpose is to enjoy. Enjoy his glory. If you don't enjoy God, you won't want to be here. I'd be like, what else can I do on a Sabbath evening? Friends, we have to find delight in God. Or we won't want to be at church. Actually, I'll even go a little further. If you don't delight in God, you won't even want to go to heaven. What do we do in heaven? For all eternity. Worship. Praise. We'll never go tired. And then after an hour we're getting tired. Getting a bit sleepy. Oh boy. We won't. That won't happen in heaven. We'll never go tired of worshipping him in heaven. If we, if we don't delight in him, we will not delight in prayer. <coughs> or worship. Or reading of God's word. A lot of the time when people are saying they'll think they go to heaven, nobody wants to go to hell. No one wants to go to hell, do they? But if you present the real heaven before them, they'll probably tell you that sounds boring. Because they don't delight in God. Heaven is wonderful, enjoyable, incredible because of God. I've had conversations with people recently and I've I've thought about this a lot and what they're saying is somewhat true. Well, the Bible doesn't say much about heaven and that got my thought thinking a lot. It tells us a lot about God. And, And heaven is wonderful because God is there and the full enjoyment of God is in heaven. That's our purpose. That's why we've been made. It says in Psalm 73, verses 24 and 25, You will give me, guide me, sorry, with your counsel, and afterward receive me to glory, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. And you say, Well, well, isn't there like God and something else? Well, friend, you have a small view of God. The more you study God and who He is and His greatness and His glory. God is satisfied. God makes us content. God makes us change to be people who are constantly, say, drinking water, salty water, and it just gives you more thirst. That's the world. But this fountain of living waters gives us satisfaction, it quenches our thirst. And it makes us feel with God that we are home. Home. What did Paul say about going to heaven? For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. If you say that to somebody in the world, they'll think you're a bit crazy. Die is gain, really? Because he saw what was to come was greater enjoyment of God and his glory. What does it say in Matthew 25, verse 21? His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into what? The joy. The joy of your Lord. And I ask myself this question. I ask so much. Am I excited enough about heaven itself? See, sometimes we get our joy from so many things we've material comforts, don't we? We've things we enjoy. But sometimes those good things in the wrong context, we don't want to let them go. Do we delight in him above all else? That's why we've been made to delight in his glory. To love his glory. And when we when we love that, following him is, is it hard? His burden is easy. His burden is easy. And not just in an external religious sense. From the heart. From the heart. Think of the early Christian martyrs. If you ever read any of the early Christian martyrs, you probably think, well, they really, they seem to almost encourage martyrdom. They almost seem to be so fearless Think of it this way. They enjoyed God above all else. And they could not wait for further enjoyment of Him. If you think of the person running the marathon, was it 26 miles as you run in the marathon? And there's pain and suffering. Why'd you keep going? <clears throat> Because once you get to the end of that, there's a euphoria feeling. Yes, I ran the marathon, what, three hours or whatever it is. You know the the good feeling, the joy of finishing the race. The joy is greater ahead. Our final point here this evening is this, to share his glory. So to witness his glory, to learn of his glory, to enjoy his glory. And finally, number four, to share his glory glory. Sometimes religion can be described as a private thing. You know, just you keep your religion to you. That's all good and happy and just don't tell me about it. I don't know if you've ever been in a work situation where you've been told that. But it says here in Romans chapter 1 verse 21 Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible men and birds and four footed animals and creeping things. A private Christianity where nobody sees it and it costs us nothing in the world is not biblical Christianity. It's not. Those who do not enjoy God. Do not glorify him, and when we when we do witness of his glory, when we do learn of his glory, and enjoy his glory, are we just going to keep it to ourselves? Does that make any sense? We think about it. If we really enjoy his glory, if we're really studying about it all the day, for for witnessing to it, and this also comes first in question one of the Westminster Larder Catechism to glorify God. That comes first. To glorify God. But if we enjoy something, we'll share it. And we share it so that other people may witness. We share it so that other people may learn. And we share it so that other people may enjoy His glory. Sometimes we present the gospel like this. You don't want to go to that nasty old place hell, do you? Come on now. Catch us up. We do kind of sometimes, and I, I'm guilty of it myself. Rather than saying, Why would you give up this? Why would you your own soul for mere dust, ashes, that which will not satisfy for that which will satisfy? God is wonderful. There are many Across Northern Ireland, you always notice people are very proud of their gardens. People love their gardens, and a lot of them are very impressive. But do people have gardens so they can just hide them away? Generally speaking, are they hidden away, sometimes behind high walls? Or is it to share? There's something wonderful about gardens, isn't there? You walk past them, and they almost put a smile on your face. The beauty of creation. Should we not share the joy of knowing God? Wherever possible. Sometimes, yes, people will shut the door on us, and we respect that. But we don't hide it away. There's a sense in which it's almost like you're wearing perfume or deodorant or something. Somebody comes up to you, and it's what 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 smell do we have from us? The smell of Christ. Everyone knows what we're about. For the world, well, they're going to find it a stench. What did Paul say? Paul said this in verses 15 and 16. When we think about this, Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. He said this, Romans 1.15, So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. His love for God meant he was not ashamed of this. He's passionate about this. He loves his God. He sees what he's rescued him from. If you support a football team, you're going to see you at the games. You're going to see you at the stands. You might even see you wearing the jersey of the team. And all these things. If you're supporting them in Northern Ireland or wherever else... We share our enthusiasm over things that don't come as close to God of what makes him special. And you might be here this evening and thought, well, no, this isn't my job. That's that's your job. You're the one who's supposed to tell everybody and invite him to church and maybe the other elders as well. And yes, it is. But it's every Christian's responsibility to share in whatever... Sphere he finds himself or finds herself in. We are called to do so. How do I know this? It says in 1 Corinthians 10.31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The most basic things in your life. Eating and drinking. How much more everything else. For For all him, through him, and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. That is Romans 11.36. Why are we here? Why are we here this evening? If eating and drinking is to be done to the glory of God. The most basic of tasks. What about worship? Worship is to be done to the glory of God. And people may say. Well you know I have a preference this way. What does God want? In worship. What does God want in our home? What does God want with our hearts? He wants our hearts. Our vengeance. All done to the glory of God. Because this is why we're here. Again, to go back to the the picture of the television. He wanted to to do what it's meant to do. This is what we're meant to do. Whatever we do. Whatever we're involved in. Even the smallest thing. The most insignificant thing is to be done to the glory of God. Dear friends, could you answer this question? If if somebody came out to you in the street and said to you, do you know why you're here? Do you know the meaning of life? There used to be a television program done by RT years ago called The Meaning of Life. Not a single guest that I've ever seen could get the answer right. The real meaning of life is we're here to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Amen.